Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I met at our first radio jobs and have been friends ever since. And we had fun in our 20s as wing women for each other. And in our 30s, we got married. Then we had babies within weeks of each other. Eventually landing the hardest job we've ever had, parenthood. Our kids are 12 and 10, but we'll talk about everything from babyhood to menopause. We want to discuss topics that interest us and you and bring some knowledge to other average parents. We make it look easy. We make it look good. Yeah, we're average, not experts. So we'll talk about the topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah, we'll get the experts. And I'm sure to embarrass myself along the way. Yeah, after the first season, I'm pretty sure we already have. <laughs> so welcome to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. Apparently, it doesn't have to be daunting or the most dreaded topic you ever have to discuss with your kids. You know, the talk. Mm. The the talk. <laughs> and I'm talking about sex. Oh. The birds and the bees. You know what I'm talking about now? Yeah. 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 You, like you get the sweats when you think I'm, about it. Yes. <laughs> Full on. Heart palpitations. <laughs> New research out of Brigham Young University suggests that parents can be an effective means of teaching their children about sexuality in a developmentally appropriate manner, but that it doesn't have to occur in a single, uncomfortable, like, you know, one-sided, two-minute, check-the-box kind of conversation. Right. Which is what we had. Which is what I grew up with and yep. what I had, yes. It's more of an ongoing dialogue about sex that leads to young adults having safer sex at age 21. That's all according to the research. Yeah, and, and for perspective, according to the uh, 2017 National Youth Risk Behavior Survey, um, which is done by the Centers for Disease Control, the percentage of youth who have ever had sex decreased. So it was 48% in 2007 to now 40% in 2017. As did the percentage of youth who reported having four or more sexual partners. Yikes. Uh It was 15% in 2007. Now it's 10% in 2017. So that reduces the risk for HIV and STDs. Sure. But condom use among sexually active high school students decreased from 62% what? to 54%. So that's not the good news. Hmm. That seems like counterintuitive. I know. Think what are more they talking. Yeah. Well, have you had the talk yet? Um, yes. I, I did. I had it with my daughter a couple of years ago, and I was so prepared. Funny story. So I was like, oh, I'm going to be proactive. So I Googled I Googled books to, to do, because I thought maybe it would be better to give her a book and have that be the springboard for the conversation. So I go to the local bookstore, and I walk in with my two books that I'm going to check out. And, of course, I couldn't find it if it was in parenting or if it was in health. I couldn't. I didn't know what section it was in. Porn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I go, and I, I walk up to the person. I'm like, can you help me find this book about sex for my daughter? <laughs> and she, she, she puts it in a over. brown wrapper. Yeah. She walks me over to the shelf, and I look, and I open the first book. And I, I was like, whoa! What? <laughs> The illustrations, like there was literally, I thought it was like the Kama Sutra or something. I'm like, what the, what the hell is, what is this? This is too, TMI, okay? I just need the basics to cover the bases of like, but this book, so I closed it back up. My face is all red. I put it back on the shelf and I grabbed the other one and I'm like, oh, 
okay, this one's way more palatable. I can handle the picture. There was illustrations, but it was more like about your body and like your chain, you know, stick you're gonna figure. <laughs> it wasn't stick, but it was it was generally a little bit more palatable than the other one that was way over the top. Right. So too too much for my ten year old at the time. So I gave her the book, and she said she wanted to read it first. She, I was okay. That makes sense. So she wanted to absorb it herself first without me being there. Did you what did you have a book or anything? Uh, all right. So um keep in mind we started our kids in Catholic school and preschool and kept them there um through part of elementary school. So talking about sex was not even on my radar because it's just some the environment in which they were being educated it was not part of the curriculum. Sure. Um so when my do- my older daughter moved into public school in 4th grade, she came home and she said she had to have deodorant. In and what was- grade? fourth grade and she weighed about 50 pounds and i was like why would you need deodorant yeah and she said it was mandatory in public school that all kids have deodorant because some of the kids have she says some of the kids have puberty (laughs) and i said oh how do you know they have puberty and she said they have boobs and i said okay well and i said do you know what puberty is and she said no so, Throwing I tried words out there that she doesn't know what they mean. Yeah, yeah. Right. all and kids I'm, are like that. And some, I think she probably read about it because otherwise she would have known how to say it. But um, so I said, well, you know, here's the deal: when as you get older, you have something called a uterus, and it sheds. She's like, oh, oh, uh, no, no. Well, did you no. start with? Um, so one of the first books before the one I got at the library, I got that American Girl because all my friends who are older have this American Girl yes. book, The Care and Keeping of You. Yeah, the care and keeping of you. I so I immediately got that, and then yeah, also the, the feelings book, because oh, there's one. a separate one that talks about how you're feeling, not just what's changing in your body, but like why you're kind of going a little crazy, like hormone stuff. Yes. Okay. And um and so gave those to her, mm-hmm. and um we haven't talked about it since. Oh, <laughs> no, my okay. daughter read it, and I know she did because I would see it on her back bookshelf and stuff. Yeah, um, it's it's a wonderful book, The American Girl. I mean, everything American Girl does is pretty awesome. Um, right. but that book is very like more. It's a beginning stage, I would say, right, for when they're really younger, because it was more about you're going to grow some hair in certain places and that type of thing. It was very like just general hy- hygiene. I it was like you should be bathing and you should have deodorant and all that the things that are happening, just generally speaking. So body changes, yes. and puberty, but not yes. necessarily sex. Oh no, no period, no menstruation, none of that was in the, as far as I remember. Do you? I don't think I don't think so. And in fact, you know, we have had many talks since i was joking about not talking since um but my younger daughter we have not have you have you talked to your son um well i tried because he's in fifth grade i went to go have the conversation because i feel like normally the second kid always gets things a little more accelerated than Mm -hmm. your first and he was like no 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 mom Mm-mm-mm. And he shut me down. I had the same book that I had given to my daughter. Yeah. And I said, how about I just leave it right here? And, you know, you can go to it if you want. He didn't want it in his room. I go, I'm going to set it on the dresser in my room so you can always come to my room for it. No. No. I, I believe it hasn't been touched in my room. <laughs> well, he's not ready. And, no. And, you know, I think one thing we should ask is, do we force it? You know, um, when we talk to our expert, do we make the kids have the conversation well it's funny because the new research is saying that oh this is like over the course of time many conversations not just one so i think it's interesting we haven't had really talk about it my daughter and i too much until she came home mm, say a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. she went to a high school football game 
And she came home and she goes, Mom, a kid was handing out condoms at the game. What? And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, somebody was handing out condoms. So as part of the research, it says it's like a continuing conversation, not just one and check the box. We had a whole conversation about um, sexually transmitted diseases and what they were for and for safe sex and so on. So it was a second conversation. Well, that's good. Spurred by something that happened to her. And so I'm, I just want to make sure that my kids want to come to me and not go to Jimmy or Kimmy for the for the answers. For sure. Because they're not going to get it right, probably. Right. No. And, and we can't control what they're hearing, but we can make ourselves available so that we can... Um, refute some of the things that they're hearing if it if it's wrong. Right. So, do you remember sex education when you were growing up? Did you go to Robert Crown? Have you heard of Robert Crown? Yeah. All right. So, I did not go to Robert Crown, but I chaperoned the fifth grade trip when my oldest was was in fifth grade, and I it was so funny. I got to school, and these kids I've known these these kids. You know, I I was in the classroom Forever. quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. And they couldn't make eye contact. They were like looking around. <laughs> Totally scared, totally silent. Was this going to the... This is... Or coming... On the way. Like, so the bus ride on the way was silent. And they're so nervous. So nervous. And then we got there and the girls went in one room yep. and the boys went in yep. another room and, and the talk was fantastic. And it was really about body changes. Yep. Um, and it was like they let out a huge sigh of relief altogether. And on the way home, the bus ride was exactly like, you know... That's like, funny because it was the opposite... Yeah. And my experience is that everyone's like, yeah, we're on a field trip. Yeah. <laughs> cool. We're getting out of school. And then this uh, rebel's ride home. Contem- you could hear a, You could hear a pin drop. They're contemplating their puberty. Because they're all like looking around at each other like, <laughs> <laughs> like what's going to happen to you? <laughs> yeah. That is funny. Because it's opposite. The girls didn't know what the boys heard. Yes. No, there wasn't. Mm-mm. Yeah. So I, I think if the girls had heard what's going to happen to the boys, they might have been like, what? And in, in our in our district, it's um, in fifth grade, they go and it's more like about changes and they separate them. And then it's in sixth grade when it's the the miracle of life or the start of life. I don't so, know if we've had that in our public school. We have it. We have two. So okay. in our in our experience in our school. So I figured to tackle this to- topic, we should, let's just go to the source. Robert Crown uh, is the nation's oldest health education center and a well-known Chicago institution. I, I know because I went there. And so we're going to welcome in Betty Barsley Mara, who is a health educator at Robert Crown Center for Health Education. She has taught human sexuality and healthy relationships for more than 40 years to audiences of all ages from preschool all the way to senior citizens and from classrooms to boardrooms. Betty, thanks for joining us. Welcome. I'm glad to be here. Thanks. So would you agree that sex education isn't just one conversation, but many over time? Absolutely. Um, The thing is, most of us don't really think about the fact that we don't have to decide when to begin sex education. That's not really a choice we make. We are giving sex education to our kids from the very first moment we bring them home and the first contact we make with them because all the things we do when they're very young, how we touch them, how we hold them, even when we change a diaper, we have a decision to make about sex ed. They automatically move their hands to their genitals and we have to decide, what am I going to do now? Am I going to make a face and go, oh, no, no, don't do that. 
Or am I going to grab Mr. Bunny and start him hopping around in hopes that the baby will grab for Mr. Bunny and remove their hands from their genitals? Or are we going to say, oh, you found your penis. You found your vulva. Good for you. Well, we still got to clean up down there, so let's do that right now. That's sex education. Oh. We, we make these decisions all the way along. And it's not just what conversation do we have about puberty when it seems like it's the time or what conversation do we have about how pregnancy actually begins when we think that's correct or when do we start talking about pregnancy in terms of the behaviors that we choose to do or not do and how to prevent or also the risks of sexually transmitted infections. It's a different way of looking at it, I think, than most parents look at it. It's, I would agree. Doing it all along. I didn't know. I now that you say it like that, I guess we have. All right, yeah. And Betty, I got to say, um, I, I think you just called us out because we used to, we would tell the girls they had privates because um, they they didn't like to use the word vagina. And when I tried to introduce that later, they're like, oh, I don't like that word. And they know what it is now. But we would just say we told them that. Your private area is a place where a doctor can see or a a parent can see. But other than that, people shouldn't be seeing it or you should be protecting yourself. We did not talk about vulva. (laughs) That's what I definitely would suggest in terms of young girls. We often, if we do identify that part of the body, we identify it as the vagina, which really isn't what they're asking about if they're saying, what do you call this? They're really talking about what do I see when I look in the mirror or when I'm sitting on the toilet or when I'm in the bathtub and I look down. What is that part of me? And a more appropriate term would be vulva for that, that entire area. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Are there some do's or don'ts that we should follow when talking about sex with our kids? Like, is there certain things that or approaches we could have? Well, I think part of it is this whole idea of generally kind of the comfort level you've developed with your kid all along. And one of the things most adults begin to understand and parents get to understand is parents like to think that they have the choice to begin the conversation. And very often when that happens, you aren't matching the timing of the kid's needs. So it's more about availability constant communication, talking to one another, realizing that it's it's just one of the things about kids, especially as they get to junior high and high school, is they wait until you look unavailable. So if you finally pick up that book you've been meaning to read and you're laying on your bed, they'll walk by your bedroom door several times, just very curious, and often they'll say, what you doing? Like reading a book, and that's the time when they're ready. And all of a sudden, the kid who would not have initiated any sort of conversation or would have blocked your efforts to initiate a conversation, they'll come and they'll climb up on the bed and they'll start talking, and all of a sudden you're like, ooh, I don't want to ruin this. I don't want to ruin this. We're on a roll here. It's coming from them. And so I think that's really the do is how do I create that level of openness that when my child comes to me with anything, including something that they've hesitated about talking to me about, am I available and do I respond? And and it seems kind of unfair. Sometimes parents say to me, well, what kind of deal is that? I have to be ever open when it's convenient for them. I'm like, well, whoever told you parenting was fair? I mean, that's not even part of the deal. 
So that's really, I think, a major do. So I kind of want to go through the stages and and, and how to talk to kids at at various ages. Um, You know, I remember distinctly when my kids were, when my little one was four and my big one was six, um, this is a conversation we had. We saw a pregnant woman and my four-year-old says, does, does that woman have a baby in her belly? And I said, yes. How do you think it got there? And she said, she ate it. And then I said, how do you think it'll get out? And, and, she's, and my six-year-old said, she'll poop it. And I was not sure exactly how to tell a four-year-old about sex and childbirth. Is that something we should be saying? Like, should we be saying to four-year-olds, you know, well, that woman ha- clearly had a penis in her vagina. <laughs> no. Really? I don't know. How do you talk to a four-year-old? Well, a four-year-old really, um, the thing is, we're always filtering it through our adult sort of ways of looking at it. So the four-year-old who says, does that lady have a baby in her belly? You could say very simply, there is a baby inside that woman, and it's not in her belly. It's actually in a special part inside her that moms have called a uterus. And that might be enough to solve that question. Okay. Um, if then, then you see what the next question comes. And the whole idea of if a baby, sa- if, if someone says, a, a kid says to you, hey, look, I know how babies get out of their moms. They poop them out. Um, you can just say, well, that's not correct. It's, there is an opening that you use in your body called your anus. That's where the poop comes out, or I would say probably bowel movement or something, depending on what you're comfortable with. And then I would say, but there's another opening that the baby comes out in that same part of the mom's body, in that same area. Okay. It's very often just explaining it is really all they want. They're not really looking for much more than that. Sometimes you have a very curious kid, and one question leads to the next and leads to the next. So I wouldn't want to mislead anybody and say their kids are always going to shut down after an answer to the question they've asked. If you've got one of those really curious kids, you have to be ready. You are opening the door for a whole bunch of questions. But they're asking them for different sorts of reasons. They're really kind of asking kind of a transportation question. How does something get from here to here? Or a geography question. Where is this happening? And we tend to think of it as they're asking about sex. They're asking about sex. And they're often really asking just about the same types of things as they're trying to process other parts of the world, especially as preschoolers and primary age kids. Right. Don't overshare. Like, you can make it just as simple as answering the question, not not oversharing. Yep. And not, not, not putting it into your perspective as an adult of sex, because that's not really what they're asking about. They're asking about geography. They're asking about transportation. That The kinds of things they've asked you about their whole entire lives. Now they're just asking it about the human body. Well, you brought up about how um, conversations, you know, they might be circling your room while you're reading a book or whatever and and have it be on their terms. I've read repeatedly about talking about it in the car or kitchen. Would there be a um, reasoning behind that? Well, certainly the car is usually because you're not going to be face to face. If you're Mm -hmm. the driver, you're not. There's something very. Um, less threatening about people sitting side by side. It's one of the things, you know, you, when you work with even any sort of negotiation with or any sort of um, de-escalation sort of things, even between adults, you try to put them side by side. When you're, having, when you're a teacher and you're having trouble with a kid in a classroom, you go and sit next to them because then there's not that 
eye contact. There's not oh. that kind of surveillance that's happening. So the car is a natural for that. Oh, okay. The car is also a natural for information gathering because you you know that if you have if you're taking a group of kids or even a group of siblings anywhere, it's almost like you're the limo driver and the the glass is up. They they forget you're even there, and they just unlock a whole lot of secrets and things and ideas, and you just stay quiet and collect all that data for a later conversation with your own kid. Right. That's where you get the goods, right there. <laughs> you do. <laughs> it's like they're clueless. <laughs> they just forget you're there. The same thing if you sit, you know, in the next room during an overnight party all of a sudden it's like whoa i just learned a whole lot of information by hosting this overnight oh that's funny the kitchen is just because it's just a, a comfort place people can assi- and it, that's certainly dependent on how the kitchen functions in your home but often it seems seems as the warm family-oriented comfortable place where we already do a lot of talking so yeah like while you're making dinner if everyone's like someone's cutting the tomatoes and the cucumbers for a salad or something then you're not then sounds like kind of like the car you're not like staring like an inquisition and you're just kind of absolutely okay. you're at the stove stirring stirring something and the question comes from behind you and you're like oh okay and it's just it's just more comfortable okay what if your child isn't ready to talk about it we talked about you know um tracy's son if you broach the subject and they straight up say no is it just a matter of trying and trying again it's again looking for any sorts of teachable moments where it may seem appropriate to talk about it sometimes it's just kind of a shock value thing that's happening to your kid wait what did she just say? We're going to talk about what now? It just doesn't make sense to them. So, again, it's the question of, oh, what kind of teachable moments come up? Is someone in the family having a baby? Or did you see something in a movie? Did something just come up on a TV show? Then kids may be able – it makes more sense to them. It's like, oh, okay, that computes with me. We're going to talk about this because it relates to what we've just seen. But when it comes out of the blue, it can be very shocking to a kid, and they just might not be ready. You can't force it. Sometimes you can just acknowledge that they're being reluctant. You might say something like, hey, wow, you seem like you really don't want to talk about this. Is there someone else other than me that maybe you'd want to talk to about this? Because that may be the issue, too. Although most of the research is pretty clear that whether it's a boy or a girl, more kids report that if they did talk to parents about sexuality, they talked to their mom overwhelmingly, whether they were boys or girls. Tracy's patting herself on the back right now. (laughs) (laughs) The researchers don't know clearly why that's the case, but they just suspect that moms are generally with kids perhaps more on, you know, typically and they may just be more used to coming to mom with questions of any kind. So these questions would naturally go to mom. I get what you're saying, too, about today's society is uh, hypersexualized, I think. I think even the, you know, I was watching with my girls the series Once Upon a Time, which is about fairy tale figures in modern day. And I thought it was going to be fairy tales. Oh. And yet they were, you know, <laughs> sleeping with each other. So we had to pause the DVR or whatever and say, okay, they are not married, and they are hugging while lying down. And, you know, because they, the kids were, and, and we stopped watching it after that. But um, but we we did stop and explain. And I think that even though it was not an ideal show for them to see at the time, it was certainly helpful that I was there, and then we could make it a moment. And I think it's, it's as long as it's not 
the only thing we make teachable moments out of are things that have to do with sex. I mean, if we're doing it about drugs and relationships in general and violence, and generally the kids are used to, oops, she's pressing the pause button, we're going to talk about something, because it's just important for kids to know your perspective, your values, what they're thinking, then it doesn't become, wait, this sex thing always gets a big conversation. We never have these big, and then it kind of places sex in a whole difference. Kids are very intuitive about, wow, this is, this is really something different instead of this is just another one of those life things that my parents are an excellent source of information about. Well, when we when Ann and I were growing up, it, it did feel very check the box, like uh, just a one conversation and it was done and you just figured it out on the fly or whatever. And now there's, you know, a, a lot of schools go to Robert Crown and or, or have you come out to their schools for for the sex education. Would you offer up any um, icebreakers or tips on how to communicate? Because what if you don't have uh, somebody in the family that's having a baby or you don't watch content on TV or whatever? Like how how do you how do you have the conversation or broach it when there aren't obvious cues cues? Well, I think there are some obvious cues that that life just provides. For example, puberty is an obvious cue that, um, I mean, certainly it would be much better to begin these conversations even with kids as preschoolers, but when they're preschoolers, it's, it's basically about correct names for body parts and what we call sexual manners in the fact that my, one time I was walking out of the grocery store and I was walking in and the uh, mom was walking out. It was really winter time, and, um, but it had started to get warm and the kid was still all zipped up in a big snowsuit. And he's walking behind her and she's pushing the cart and he just stops and she looks around and he says, wait, my testicles, they're stuck to my thigh. And she, and she just like her head went down on the cart and I was walking in the other way, and I said, you've done a great job. He's got the right words. He just needs the manners. And she said, what does that mean? And I said, well, just that there's some things you don't talk about or have to announce. You can, you can move your testicles away from being stuck from your thigh, but you don't have to really tell everyone that's what you're doing. And so besides just body parts and sexual manners, there's really not a whole lot of stuff that little kids are going to ask about unless they've seen something prompted. But as kids get older, the things are beginning to happen in their body. So that's, that's an icebreaker. The deodorant question or uh, acne or just, just a growth spurt. Why is this happening? This is all part of growing up is a great way then to begin a conversation. For example, the puberty class that Robert Crown does really is just about puberty. It's not about intercourse. It's not about sperm meeting egg. It really is sure. just this is the start of something of changes in your life, eventually to the point of being able to reproduce, which means humans making other humans, which most fifth graders that I've taught agree is a really important thing. You mentioned earlier uh, about babies and hands gravitating toward genitals. Um, Are we... Are we supposed to be teaching masturbation, self-pleasure, or is that something that they will come to us with? I mean, what's the thought there? Yeah, it isn't, it really isn't about teaching them masturbation. It's just knowing that, especially 
Um, you know, people say, well, only boys will find their, their penis and touch it and rub it because it feels good. Well, any girl who gets on a piece of playground equipment, especially those or a hobby horse that rocks back and forth, may find the same pleasure. So then it's a question, but that's not at all sexual. In that case, it's, it's just, it just feels good like it feels good if someone rubs my back or it feels good if someone hugs me. So then it's just a question about I know that feels good. Um, here are the sexual manners for this. You don't announce them as sexual manners, but that's not something you do in public. It's something you do in private. You explain the difference between public and private, and you keep reinforcing that. Anybody who's ever been a, an early childhood teacher knows that many kids uh, at nap time masturbate themselves to sleep. They've already figured that out. Wow. And often being away from home is a higher stress situation. Many people have gone to call the kids in from the play, play yard to find one little girl who simply will not get off <laughs> the giraffe she's riding or whatever she is. And if you near her, she'll wave you away. And if you just wait and she, she has that pleasurable rush, then she gets off and comes back wherever you need her to be. And so it's something early childhood people get pretty familiar with. Parents, though, are often pretty surprised if they encounter their child is, is masturbating or touching themselves. And, of course, for some parents, it isn't something they would want to teach their children. It would be something they would actually not want to talk about at all and tell them was bad and sinful and they're not to do it. But you don't really even have to ever bring it up with kids. You, you watch for it. And as they touch themselves and they get to be older, you can talk to them about the inappropriateness of doing that when other people are around. Okay. okay. And kids can, I mean, I, I certainly have known parents who, you know, say, my kid, now that we've had this conversation, will just, in the middle of something we're watching on TV, say, I'm going to go upstairs now and put my hand in my pants. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's just kind of an announcement. Just, I just, you know, that's where I'll be. Okay. <laughs> but oh. I know I'm not going to do it here. Okay. Oh, well, right. I, okay. In an earlier episode, we were talking about the changing messages our kids are getting and what they consider virginity. Can, is there a way we can explain to our kids what counts as sex? Well, I think one of the things that we try to make very clear to kids is the fact that sex is partner sex is something much more than just penile vaginal sex that it is oral sex or it's anal contact or it is it also is intimate skin to skin contact because we know there are several STIs that can be transmitted from an infected person to another infect uninfected person simply by mucous membranes touching each other and so it's it's really trying to expand the idea of it's penile sex vaginal sex, oral sex, anal sex, and intimate skin-to-skin contact. Um, is kissing sex? No. Is, is kissing a, an intimate behavior um, when done in a romantic sort of way? Yes. Is it going to get you pregnant? No. I mean, we have those kinds of specific conversations. In talking about virginity, it really is helping them understand that the real definition of virginity is about being kind of pure and chaste. That's where the idea of virginity comes from. And so that, I mean, I've had situations with high school kids when I taught high school where a sophomore girl would tell me, I'm, I'm still a virgin. And then 
another kid would say if they were near the conversation, but you give blowjobs to anybody who wants them. And the question is like, well, that doesn't really count as being pure and chaste. Virginity is about when you begin moving into partner sex, no matter what kind of partner sex it is, you now have passed over being completely pure and completely chaste. Now, I have no value judgment on whether, when, and how, and what are the rules for virginity, but I just, it, we helping kids understand that that's really what virginity is. It's not, I stopped short of this one behavior, thus I am still pure and chaste. It just doesn't match up. Kids are getting all kinds of information from all kinds of sources, so adults Parents, especially who are willing to stand up and become involved and have these conversations at well, are simply just balancing out all that other information that waves over kids from music to friends to Internet to television to film and on and on and on. Is there anything that stands out in your years of experience that you're like, wow, that was a good question or wow, that was are the kids walking in like, yeah, I already know this or is it stayed the same? You know, it it breaks down into about thirds, and it always kind of has the kids who really, this is the first time they've ever heard anything about this. They have no idea. Then the middle third who really are basically kind of disinterested. It just doesn't seem that interesting. And then the other third of kids who believe they know it all, are surprised, can ask pretty in-depth questions. We really kind of do three levels of programming. We do the puberty level. We talk to them about where you are now. Then we teach another class a year later, which is where did you come from, so that they understand the beginnings of life with, with conception and pregnancy. And then our TSH, which is our teen sexual health, that's really targeted towards seventh and eighth graders. And there we do talk about pregnancy, what causes pregnancy, um, and a great deal of, we include consent in our discussions as well, as well as STIs. We certainly do a lot of pre-work with them about this is a great opportunity to ask questions. This is your chance to get a lot of answers. And one of the things we do, and we are very dedicated to it, is always sending them back to trusted adults. That's our, that's our vocab for parents, grandparents, teachers, doctors. Beyond today, you must ask your questions of trusted adults. Your friends are great, but they may pretend they know more than they do. Uh, Mr. Google, Mrs. Google, Siri, Alexa, those are not trusted adults. Those are the Internet, and there's a lot of false information on the Internet that might confuse you. Always back to your trusted adult. I, I think I probably don't teach any class without returning to that three or four or five different times. We also are trying very hard to make sure always that we level with them, that if what you're asking me by being here today or by what questions you're posing to me, if you are saying, I want to prevent a pregnancy I didn't plan for and I want to prevent completely eliminate the possibility of becoming infected with a sexually transmitted infection. The only option we can offer you is abstinence. Abstinence from all five of those types of sexual contact that we talked about. Penile sex, vaginal sex, oral sex, anal sex, and intimate skin-to-skin contact. And I've had enough instances of kids who say, 
wow, I thought I knew all this, and there was so much I had no idea about, and that will change the decisions I'm making. Hmm. I had a seventh-grade girl who said to me, when I think about all that I've already done, ooh, and I said, and she was very upset about it. She, she, I said, well, now you know. So now the decisions you make in the future could be very different decisions. Do you see how that could be? And she's like, oh, yeah, everything's going to be way different now. Knowledge is power. So, oh, it's, it's, it's amazing. Thank you so much for joining us, Betty. Um, so, again, it's Betty Barsley-Morrow, the health educator at Robert Crown, who's been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. You've been awesome. Thank you so much for your help today. Thank you so much for the invitation. I appreciate it very much. Thanks, Betty. Wow. So apparently the sex talk is a lot longer than it used to be, like when we were growing up. Like forever, yeah. Um, And if we're uncomfortable about that, there are plenty of places for them to get the information. So we need to be open to it. That's That's the bottom line is I just want my kids to know, or my nieces and nephews, to come to one of us and not to... Kimmy Jimmy. or Timmy or Jimmy or... <laughs> not to go someone on the playground, because chances are it's not correct. Right. I'm going to tell my kids to come to you. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I'm pitting out right now just thinking about it. This whole conversation has actually made me very sweaty. <laughs> and not in a good way. No, no. All right. Well, we'd love to continue the conversation I guess we would, uh, with our listeners. Uh, shoot us an email at apparentlypodcast at gmail.com. Check out our Facebook page, Apparently. Yep. Or give us a call at 331-704-0046. This is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Tracy Weiner. And I'm Ann Johnsos. Thanks for listening to Apparently. We make it look